Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I wonder what would happen to the church in America and I wonder what would happen to this nation if the church actually broke into the spirit realm and worshiped in the spirit realm, prayed in the spirit realm, decreed in the spirit realm. It's a shame, isn't it? We go to church so, so many times and never step out of the natural realm. We're breaking into the spirit realm this morning. I said we're breaking in this. We can go on and have church the way we normally do. We can just go ahead and break out of our natural understanding. And we can break in to the spirit realm this morning. You break in with your shout. You break in with your praise. You break in with your faith. In order to get in something, you got to get out of something. So we're breaking in this morning. We're breaking in this morning. We're going to finish up the series we've been on for the last couple of weeks. It is time for battle. It is time for battle. I thought we were done a week ago. I thought we were done last week. And then the Holy Spirit kind of pushed me back toward this again. It's time for battle. I said, Lord, there's nothing left. Well, let's see if we can dig something out this today, or the Holy Spirit can. Let's begin reading in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. If you have the King James Version or another translation, it may say the unruly ones. It literally means to be out of your place, out of your position of battle. Be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand to your ground. Help the weak to stand again. Be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. So he's telling us how to get along right there. And our responsibility toward one another. Resist revenge. And make sure no one pays back evil in the place of evil. But always pursue doing what is good what is beautiful to one another and to all who are unbelievers. Verse 16. Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks. For this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Our text for today. Never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do not, don't be one who scorns prophecies, but be faithful to examine them by putting them to the test and afterward hold tightly to what has been proven to be right. Avoid every appearance of evil. Father, speak to us, I pray. This morning, Holy Spirit, 
Let your voice rise. May we have revelation, knowledge, and understanding. We pray you would speak today because this is important for us to hear. In Jesus' name. And the church shouted. Hey, man, you can be seated this morning. Thank you so much, team. It's time for battle. Just look at your neighbor and shout it at them. It's time for battle. Once again, Paul, the great apostle, the father, to those here in Thessalonica, this church that's two years old, Paul is on a mission to equip the equippers. He's speaking to those that are speaking to those that are in the church. Paul is speaking out of discernment, out of revelation. He has not had a chance to go there in a couple of years. He sent Timothy. Timothy came back and gave him a good report. Their faith is strong. They've been through a lot, but their faith is strong. And so Paul understood that even though the church of Thessalonica was strong in faith, that they were still vulnerable. You see, you're always vulnerable in your faith because your faith will always face something it's never seen. That's why it's called faith. So no matter what you, you and I have been through in life and no matter what we have dealt with in faith and held on to our faith and stayed strong in our faith, we don't know what tomorrow may bring. We don't know what we might fight, fight and ha have to stand against. We, we don't know what it looks like. And so Paul said, I, I know they've been strong in the faith, but Paul being the, the apostolic father probably since, but there's more to come and they haven't seen it yet. So I just want to make sure their faith is strong. Their faith is strong. You see, um, because the next thing we may have greater demand on our faithfulness. See, when you talk about faith, really what you're talking about is faithfulness. Doubters uh, are, are, are wishy-washy. Faithful people are steady. And, and, and so, so when... when, when uh, life comes along, it puts a demand on our faithfulness. How steady will I stay in my current level of commitment? And so I mentioned this last week, but I want, I want to, to kind of lay this out here and then springboard from it again is that, that we, we understand that the, the battle that we're referring to obviously is a spiritual battle. We're getting ready for battle. We're getting ready for what's getting ready to come upon the face of the earth because end times are demanding times. I believe that we are moving quickly toward the end of time, to the end of the, the age, the church age anyway, and what, what's going to be happening, you know, in, in the midst of all of that and the, and the coming of Christ and the church um, being raptured and all those things that happens in, in the end time. Um, that, that we have to understand that we have, we must do more than just battle evil, but we must also manifest the character of Christ. And so while we are warring in the spirit and in, and in prayer as the, the ecclesia, the ruling body of Christ in the earth, the church, that we are pushing back darkness, but at the same time, we are establishing hope. For a brighter day. I said for the believer there's hope. There's a brighter day. For the unbeliever there's hope. There's a brighter day. You just got to get on the right side. 
There's got to be someone that, that's that beacon, that light, the, 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 the church of Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're battling darkness, but we are the light. We are the salt. We are manifesting the very character of Christ. So part of the battle for, for, for us then is in, in the ecclesia is to take personal responsibility. Remember we talked about that last week. We must take personal responsibility for the atmosphere of our nation. We are not allowed to hide within the four walls of the church and point fingers at a dark, hurting world and act like somehow we have nothing to do with it. We must take personal responsibility. We are the atmosphere producers, protectors. We, we are the atmosphere producers and protectors. We are here building atmospheres, protecting atmospheres. And so, so we're, we must take personal responsibility for the atmosphere of our nation. And so, therefore, we can not only shout about just taking ground. We must take ground, but we also must establish the culture, a counterculture of revival and awakening. See, awakening is when revival leaves the church. And shifts the foundation of culture. Y'all looking at me like you don't believe that can happen. You better hope it can happen. It's the only hope for America. Ain't nobody else got the hope. Ain't nobody else got the right words. Ain't nobody else has the authority. Ain't nobody else can push it back. Ain't nobody else can release heaven. Ain't nobody. It's only one thing that can do it. It's the church of Jesus Christ fulfilling her God-given authority and power and responsibility. Yes. And so, uh, so obviously for this to happen, before we can really begin to take responsibility, personal responsibility for the atmosphere of our nation, that we, we must also take responsibility for our personal atmospheres. What are we leaving? What are we leaving? What, what is the residue of our presence? What's a place like when we leave it? Is it better than when it was before? We're carrying Christ, the anointed one within us. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. Something ought to change when we step into a room. Yes? And so here we are again this morning. Here we are this morning clearing the air once again. That's what I felt the Holy Spirit say. Go back and you need to finish clearing the air. He's continuing, Paul is, with this exhortation in verses 19 and 23 to 22. He is continuing uh, to lay out our marching orders for revivalists. Marching orders. Last week, we looked at the fact that he, he told us to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. What Paul was saying is don't stop doing this. Don't stop being joyful. No matter what's going on around you, don't stop being joyful. Because your joy is a supernatural joy. 
So it's not based on circumstance or situation. It's based on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So don't stop being joyful. Don't stop praying because your prayers are making a difference. Don't stop praying because your prayers are making a difference. Whatever you do, don't stop praying. And then he says, and don't stop being uh, thankful. Don't, be, don't, don't stop it. He said, if, 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 if you will continue, continue to be joyful, continue in prayer, and continue in thanksgiving, you're going to shift and you're going to create an atmosphere of life. But then he gets here to verse 19, and it shifts. If, if you look at the text, it shifts. Because he's saying, don't stop. Don't stop these things. Don't stop doing this. Until he gets to verse 19, and he changes the tone, and he says, stop. 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 Before that, he's going, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. And then he looks and he says, stop. S-T-O-P, capital, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Stop. He's serious. This is an apostolic exhortation. Stop it. He said, okay, you're, you're doing good on joy. You're doing good on prayer. You're doing good on Thanksgiving. You're doing good on your relationships. Keep doing that, but stop. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit. Paul seems to be constantly fighting for the proper response to fire. He's got this church in Corinth that have no spiritual restraint whatsoever. It all goes. And then he's got the church in Thessalonica right here who have stopped the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So he says, you must stop quenching the spirit where he goes over to Corinth and he says, y'all need to dial it back a little bit. Y'all need to get a little bit of handle and understanding about how this works and how this flows and not everything goes. There's a certain way and a certain order to the ministry and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So you can't just let everything go crazy. And then he's got another church who have pulled the reins back on the Holy Ghost so much that they're literally quenching the fire of God. Not an easy job. So he's battling. Paul is battling. Look, look at somebody say, it's time for battle. Paul is battling for an authentic, fiery atmosphere to prevail in the church. But it's got to be authentic. Are y'all with me? I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're really getting this, this whole, how serious this is. 
if Paul would not have addressed this issue about quenching the spirit, who would have ever thought we could do that? Who would have thought or even suggest that it is possible for believers, spirit-filled believers, that somehow in some way we could restrict the sovereign all-powerful, all-present Spirit of God. That we can literally quench or restrict what he would want to do in the church of Jesus Christ. Don't get uncomfortable on me. It almost like it seems like we're trading upon uh, uh, this, this theological um, ice that's so thin that when we could almost step into a place of heresy to say, you know what? If we don't treat Holy Spirit right and we don't understand how his ministry works, that we could literally stop him, restrain him from doing what his assignment is in the earth. See, not understanding what I'm talking about gives people freedom to treat him any way they want. All over America and around the world today in churches. <clears throat> so apparently God has given us this ability to restrict or to release what the Holy Spirit does. What he has done in this room today has all been based upon how many of us are willing to release him and how many of us would rather restrict him. I mean, obviously, if the Holy Spirit just, he could walk in here and blow the place up. He's Holy Spirit. It doesn't diminish who he is or the power that he functions under. You see, the Holy Spirit, using Paul's metaphor, the Holy Spirit comes to us as a fire. When we gathered in this room today, he came as fire. This is Paul's metaphor, not mine. He said the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is like fire. It's like fire. And so, so he's telling us here that we can either fan the flames into a furious fire and free the Holy Spirit to fulfill his assignment for heaven over your life and my life and over this house corporately. Or at the same time, we can extinguish We can throw the wet blanket of fear and control and flawed theology over the fire of the Holy Spirit and extinguish him. That's what Paul is saying. Do not extinguish the fire of the Holy Spirit. 
It's, 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 it's almost somewhat uh, kind of like an awakening in our spirits to realize that what Holy Spirit does into the level and into the increase of it has more to do with us than God. He sit on an assignment. Him fulfilling that assignment is not on him. It's on us. What he does in my life personally is between me and Holy Spirit. How much do I release? How much do I restrict? What he does into corporately in a house of revival is going to be determined how much we release or how much we restrict. Nobody preaches about this anymore. But I'm trying to get us deeper because I really believe what Pastor Kim came up here and said about increase Holy Spirit manifesting across our nation. I want you to know before it can manifest across the nation, it must begin to manifest. He must begin to have the right and be released to manifest in the very church that he gave birth to. Yes? You see, you're preaching this in the wrong church. I don't think so. Because what God is about to release upon this house demands a proper response. How are we going to respond to the next manifestation of Holy Spirit? How would we, this, this is a rhetorical question, so I'll give you the answer in a minute. How would we respond to the unexpected wildness of Acts 2 manifestation? Now, now, now let's, let's watch me. Don't go to Acts 2 right now and say, yeah, I'm cool with that. That's not what I'm saying. Because before Acts 2 happened, nobody understood what Acts 2 would be like. So when we say Acts 2, we go, oh yeah, book of Acts, Acts 2, that's going to happen again. I'm good with Acts 2 happening again. But what if Acts 2 happens and it's not like Acts 2, but it is totally different than Acts 2, but it is an Acts 2 moment. I'm just asking us this question because you see, Acts 2 was not planned in a staff meeting. Acts 2 was not planned in a board meeting. Wind and fire was not on the run sheet. Nobody knew what was going to happen that morning when they got up. It was just another day of a prayer meeting waiting on God to come. They didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody expected uh, to speak in a supernatural language. Nobody expected Peter to get up and preach prophetically. And nobody ever dreamed 3,000 souls would come into the kingdom of God. Are we ready for the next manifestation? This thing we've called the church was born in a moment of of an imaginable craziness. It's crazy. 
Now, we have grown familiar with the story and the narrative and all those things, so it doesn't move us like that. What, what, what if sometime between this moment and next year, an Acts 2 moment comes to this house? It's going to happen. Now, it was a suddenly, so nobody was ready for it. There wasn't a countdown. There wasn't, we're fasting until so God will. The question I, I, I leave with us today, first our church, would we really welcome the intrusion? If it, if it's nothing like we think it's going to be. Please, Pastor, tell us what it's going to be like. I have no idea. I know what he has done biblically. I know what he has done historically. But I don't know if God just decides to do something to shake his church out of the familiarity of revival. Revival has become such a catchword. My wife has preached on this. I don't have to dwell with it. But there is such a it's such a catchword that everybody something comes along. Oh, that's revival. That's revival. That's revival. I come to tell you what God's about ready to do has not yet been done. I have not seen it, has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of I me. Mean, you better prepare yourself to respond. Yes. yes. So what is the proper response? Just let me give you a couple of things. Number one, we must respond with desire. We must desire what Holy Spirit is doing. Whether we can make sense out of it or not. Each one of us need to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to set a blaze in our hearts of spiritual passion that we desire what he is going to do. You know, desire, desire Spiritual desire is a gift. It's not like this random deposit of the Holy Spirit. Desire comes to those who ask God, help me to want you more than I want you right now. Religion says you want him enough. The rigors of religion said enough is enough is enough. Quit pulling on me. But when a humble, contrite heart says, Lord, I want to desire you more. I want to desire you more. I need you more. See, the thing about desire, it must be acted on or it fades. 
So it really doesn't matter how much I wanted him yesterday. How much do I want him today? How much do I want him right now? How much did I want him seven years ago? It doesn't matter how much I want him right now. In this very minute, this is what matters. How much do we want him now? Desire is a divine invitation to come closer to God, who is a consuming fire. I'm asking you this morning to RSVP to this invitation that God to the ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to do something we have never seen before. And I want to want it. I don't want to be skeptical. I don't want to sit back and see how it works out. I want to be the first one to the fire. See, some misunderstand this text because they think the text is talking about extinguishing the fire. But what we really need to be able to do is to distinguish the fire. We need to be close enough to Holy Spirit. This is where we got to work now. Close enough to the person of the Holy Spirit to know his heart, his ways, his desires, so we can distinguish the fire, not extinguish the fire. The church at Thessalonica had an issue. They had false prophets come through. Prophecy was, was messed up. It was, it was wrong. It was fake. And now they said, well, it's all fake. They just got rid of it all. And Paul said, no, stop it. Stop acting like that. Grow up and discern. If not, we will, we will distinguish everything the Holy Spirit. We will extinguish everything the Holy Spirit does. Am I helping anybody in this room? Another way that we can prepare for what is coming is that we must, we must develop greater levels of receptivity to what he is doing. I must desire it but also I must receive it. In other words, we must align ourselves with the Holy Spirit's role in the final act of history. He has an assignment. Because we're here on the earth, we're part of his assignment. The Holy Spirit is not random. He doesn't just, it's not like this spirit that just floats around looking for something to do, looking for some faith. He's on an assignment. And those that align with his assignment, those that see, this is what he's doing. I'm going to get in and I'm going to be a part of what he is doing. He doesn't have to do what I want him to do. He's not subject to me. I'm subject to him. I do not yield. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, I, uh, he does not yield to me. 
I yield to him. I surrender all. He has nothing to surrender. He's given it all. I'm trying to help us prepare for the level of fire, prepare for the level of manifestation that is getting ready to be released on this house. Stop looking to what it used to be, what it is. Something is coming. There's a firestorm coming. I said, there's a firestorm coming. I sense that God is wanting to release the same spiritual intensity, activity, and dynamic this morning that was unleashed in the Acts 2 experience. Not just the Acts 2 experience, but like the Acts 2 experience that's going to blow our minds. I believe that he is ready. I believe that he is waiting on a tearing, expecting, contending company of believers who refuse to get up and go out without a fiery encounter with the Holy Spirit. I believe, I believe I am going to receive what he's getting ready. I will not move without it. But I cannot be still with it. Desire, receptivity, and, and, and the last thing is commitment. Commitment to what he is doing. If we believe Holy Spirit is doing something, and we believe he is truly moving among us, then we must express our faith with corresponding action. In other words, whatever it's going to look like, whatever it's going to be, I have to be all in to have a proper response. lest I restrict his ability to move through the lack of desire and receptivity and commitment. You see, the last thing, this is my opinion. The last thing the church needs is another fresh fire conference. What we need is, is a furious fire confrontation. And then God needs some people with some spiritual backbone who will stay committed to the confrontation. If you think the Pentecostal charismatic church is going to sit back and miss a move of God, you are right. They will. They will sit back and they will criticize and they will say it's never been done like that before. And this is not what we expected. This can't be God. In the midst of all of that, there has to be a remnant of people that know how to stiffen their back and say this is that. And we're not leaving it. We're not leaving 
it. We're not going back to where we were. See, this, this is exactly what took place at Pentecost. The, this, the Pentecost was the first time, or was not the first time, that the Holy Spirit manifested himself as wind, fire, and tongues. It wasn't the first time. It was the first time that all three manifestations were at the same time. There had never been a moment when the sovereignty of God collided with the desire of humanity. And it released such an intensity and a force that they were not ready not those in an upper room. They were there because of desire. They were there. They had already made up their mind. We're staying here until whatever he says come is coming. But the force and the magnitude of it shook the religious world. We, we, we would call this a perfect storm. A perfect spiritual storm storm see a perfect storm is when multiple weather fronts collide causing a vicious storm this is what took place on the day of pentecost there was fire there was wind there was tongues but let us just look at fire and wind because fire and wind make a dangerous combination Ain't nothing safe about fire and wind. Come on, those of us that live in a drought-stricken desert, we know the deadly combination of fire and wind. And you can take a small flame and you can turn it into a blazing inferno in a matter of seconds. You see, you see, you have to understand this. The, the three forces, they combined the fire, the wind, and the tongues, and they came together. And we, and, 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 and we don't really, really identify the modern church with, with fire and wind. How many churches have you been to? You said, boy, that, that place is fiery. How many churches have you been to? You said, man, that place was windy with God. I mean, come on. In the Hebrew, the word for fire and wind are both symbols of presence and power. And when we think about the modern church, we don't think about that. We don't think about it being a dangerous place. We think in terms of a one-hour service on Sunday morning where I'm surrounded with nice people and a nicely controlled service with a prelude and a postlude and a 20-minute concert in between followed by a pre-written sermon and prayer. Isn't it ironic what was born in the fire and what was born in the wind? 
today has become predictable and, and, and nice and in a boring sort of way. Uh, what was born in the wind and the fire. But I have come to tell you, I don't know what's going to be released next. But the same Holy Spirit that came in wind and came in fire is getting ready to manifest again. The church needs to get dangerous again. Dangerous filled with the presence and the power of God. Don't go in there. It's dangerous. Dangerous for what? Religion. Dead, dry formalism. It's dangerous. You're here today right now and you're going, man, I wish you would hurry up. It's dangerous for you to be here. Once fire gets on you, smoke won't do. Is everybody okay? I find Luke 12, 49 an interesting verse because it's talking about the fact that Jesus says, I've come to set the church on fire. Luke 12, 49, he said, I came to send fire on the earth. And how I wished it was already kindled. The passage translation, he says, I have come to set the earth on fire. And how I long for every heart to be already ablaze with this fiery passion for God. This verse is somewhat an unorthodox statement. Because Jesus says, I have come to send and to set fire. If you go on and work the text, you will see he said, the first thing I must do is I must emerge you in judgment. So it says, I want the church to be blazing, but there's going to be judgment in the church. Not the church is going to be judgmental. The church is going to be judged. So he said, the first thing the fire will do is it will bring judgment for your sin. Why? So then you can be baptized in the fiery presence of God. And then he goes into this explanation. The fathers are going to rise up against sons. And sons against fathers. Mothers against daughters and daughters against mothers. Mother-in-laws against the new brides and the new brides against the mother-in-laws. What is that all about? He's letting us know once the church hits a level of the blazing fire of God, it will not bring harmony in the body of Christ. It will bring hostility. This we don't want to hear preached, but Jesus said it, so I'll preach it. He said, I want to set that my people ablaze with a holy passion and fire. But you must understand, he said, when this fire comes, not everybody's going to want it. Not everybody's going to embrace it. There's going to be, it's going to separate fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. There's going to be a glory and a power and a fire that comes to the church. I just want you to be ready. This is where our battle must be fought because we can't stop in the midst of the hostility. We must battle and fight for the fire. (laughs) 
Yes. Let's go back and let me see if I can wrap this up. Let's, let's, let's talk about three attitudes that dishonor the Holy Spirit. Because I, I, really, I really feel like there's an attitude of dishonor that has gripped much of the church today concerning Holy Spirit. An attitude of dishonor. You know, if you act like he's not in the room long enough, he'll leave. If you act like he's not in the room long enough, he won't be. It was Tozer that said he believed 95% of the churches in America, if God was to lift the Holy Spirit from them today, they would never know the difference. The first attitude we've already discussed, and that is in 2 Thessalonians 5.19, when he talks about quenching the Spirit. Stop quenching the Spirit. The literal translation there is stop putting out the Spirit's fire. It also means to put a chokehold on. It dishonors the Holy Spirit. Number two is the attitude of grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.3. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Holy Spirit or take for granted his holy influence in your life. This, this word grieve here literally means not to limit in scope. It means when we grieve the Holy Spirit through our actions, and in, 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 in this context, it's how we treat and talk to one another. We've talked about that already, but he's talking about the way you, you talk to one another, the way you treat one another. He said, while you're doing all of that, don't forget to, you're, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. The word grieve means to, to vex, to give pain, to give sorrow, or to give heaviness to. So the way we treat one another and the way we treat the Holy Spirit emotionally affects him. Grieving is an emotion. He feels it. He feels heavy. When we go into sin, he feels heavy. That's why you feel heavy. When you mistreat someone knowingly and hurt someone and, and you feel bad about that, that's because Holy Spirit's feeling bad about that. He said, don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't stop him from moving, letting him do what he needs to do. Have enough spiritual discernment. God is not impressed because our lack of discernment causes us to, to quench the Holy Spirit. Like somehow that, that's better, that he would rather us do that. This is important because where we're going. 
And the third attitude that dishonors the Holy Spirit is found in Mark chapter 3, and Jesus teaches it to us. And he says this, I tell you this timeless truth, all sin will be forgiven, even all blasphemy they speak. But there can be never be forgiven for the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, for he is guilty of an eternal sin. This is because they said he, Jesus, was empowered by the Holy Spirit or by demon spirits. It's somber in here right now because, see, these are real things nobody talks about. And when you don't talk about it, we just live in it. Because we don't understand what's going on. And so when we quench the spirit, we put out the fire, the passion goes, the, 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 the desire for more of him goes, and revival goes. When you quench the spirit, when you grieve the spirit, it's because the way you are treating, the way you're speaking and things that you are doing grieves the spirit. And so you, his emotions becomes your emotions and you feel that. Both of these, we understand that there's repentance for quenching the spirit. There's a place of repentance for grieving the spirit. But according to Jesus, there is no place of repentance for the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. You said, what is that, Pastor? It literally means to deny the power of God and to be defiant In irreverence. The one that we have to be careful of, I see in the body of Christ today, is that when we begin to attribute the works of God to the devil, it's when we stand behind our pulpits in America and create a doctrine that tells people God no longer moves supernaturally. He no longer moves supernaturally, so you should not expect him to move supernaturally. He no longer does this. And if you see anything that looks supernatural, it's from the devil. I don't understand the whole concept. I don't understand why you would think the devil would move supernaturally, but God would not move supernaturally. I don't understand that even whole concept. It doesn't make sense to me to say that the devil is moving by, the, by demons and by evil spirits upon the hearts of men, but the Spirit of God can no longer bring salvation, or not salvation, but can no longer bring miracles and signs and wonders and prophecies and speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit are no longer needed because we have the full revelation misunderstanding of text but we must understand this we must understand this that there is coming a day we mark it down as we move closer to the end of time there will be those that raise their voices and they will literally be blaspheming against the holy spirit and there is no repentance there is no place they've crossed a line but it has to be done intentionally so you're sitting here thinking oh my god have i done this well if you know you you've done this you know you've done this but here's the deal i've come to talk about today let's not get to that place wake up american church don't get to that place shake off the faulty doctrine and pick up the counsel of the word of god that our god is the same yesterday today and forever somebody shout yes I want you to stand up all over this place. 
And I've got to do one more thing. Jesus, this morning, is a fire starter. He said, I've come to set and to send fire. Oh, how I wish it was already happening, he said. Today it is. We are in that moment. Jesus is a fire setter. And I believe he's drawing a line in the proverbial sand of the Pentecostal charismatic movements. Because fire is getting better be, be released in a way and a level we've never known. And the question for us, first our church, is shall we bow to the orthodoxy that we, in our own pursuit, confirm? What is generally and traditionally accepted is right and true. Or will we receive the furious fire of God? Which is going to be contrary and confrontive to the usual, to the acceptable. To those who approve of services and believers without Holy Spirit power. So here's, 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 here it is. Over time, over time, any fire can become a form. Any fire can become a form. It's orthodoxy, belief systems, but no fire. At best, the church has the Holy Spirit in a box in a corner somewhere to let him out when we need him and when we want him if he behaves and doesn't embarrass us to a world that is dying to experience him The question I leave with you today will you choose fire over form I have never understood why we ask those who are dead carnal what they want church to be like I say, why do we let the cold 
tell us how to have church? Why do we let those that have cold, carnal hearts? I'll come if you. How about I challenge you? You come into the fire. I feel this deep in my spirit because we are fighting a battle. This is what Pastor Kim, when she mounted this platform, stood behind this pulpit earlier and said, we must cry out for increase of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our nation. Why? It is our assignment. Not everybody will be able to get up under the level of fire that's coming. But there will be many. Religion will falter. And it's false doctrines will falter under the weight of God's glory and power. I just want to prophesy that. I'm asking you this morning. It is time for battle. We must fight for our place and our assignment. But we cannot fight for something that we are not. And we cannot fight for something that we are not experiencing. I've come today. And I know we left here last week. But I've come today to fight for the fire. I've come today to be one whose desire pulls the fire out of heaven. And I want you to join me around the front of this building today. And you say, Pastor, we are ready. We will battle. We will fight. We will contend. No matter what it looks like. No matter what it sounds like. No matter what it feels like. We are ready. We are ready. We are ready. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.